Hey, and welcome back to episode 31 of the SoPro Cycling Show. I'm your host, Thomas Torbick, and this week we're going to talk about aggressive bike racing and when it's taken too far. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and let's get into it. So to start it off, I, just, I guess the reason we're doing this episode is because of the amateur Nats crit. And Luke, you can fill in here too a little bit, but basically there was a crash about 20 minutes in and it seemed kind of unnecessary based on the video, but basically guys went down when there wasn't really any position to be gained and, you know, guys have broken bones now. Right. But I mean, the classic thing going on here was this would just be any other wreck in a bike race. But the key issue is the initiator of the incident then went on to claim the Stars and Stripes jersey later that day. Um, We are, of course, referring to fantastic sprinter. You know, you can't take anything away from this guy. Justin Williams is quite honestly unstoppable in some of the sprints that he wins. Right. Just like gapping people by multiple bike lengths. So we're not taking anything away from him saying that he's like not good or anything because he is fantastically good at riding a bike. Right. But again, you know, I don't think we're talking about this if it's not, you know, somebody of that stature. That's true. So basically to start off, we should just talk about when you start as a cat five and then eventually move your way up to a cat one and then the pros what do those different races look like? So I guess I'll start it off with cat fives are, there's usually not a lot of bumping or, you know, fighting for position. It's really just the strongest guy is going to win. But then as you move your way up, you know, four is still not really too much bumping going on threes, maybe a little bit in that final lap, but still not that big a deal. But then once you get to like the pro races, like, Tour of America's Dairyland, uh, Gateway Cup. There's going to be, you know, fighting for position. And I noticed that a lot this year at, at Toad. That was the first time I did the P12 at Toad. And it was just, you know, guys dive bombing corners, guys, you know, bumping and shouldering you to get on that wheel that they want. Um, and I know you had a lot of trouble there crashing on the first day. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, it happens because. You know, quite honestly, you're aware of it once you get to that level of cycling and, you know, guys are going to try to maybe bump you off of a wheel that they want, especially if it's like a high value, like top 15 wheel and you're in five laps to go, kind of an end scenario. Or if the course constricts at a certain point, guys are going to try to make moves to get in position to take a good line through that corner. And, you know, really crashes happen in those situations at kind of the higher levels just guys fighting for position a lot of times in those lower like three four five areas it happens because you know it might be the first time that person ever gets bumped hard right in a race. exactly so yeah when you're in the the cat one and two races pretty much everyone knows how to ride a bike and like if they get their handlebars like slightly twisted from someone rubbing into you. Or if, you know, a guy shoulders you 
or a guy dive bombs inside of the corner, pretty much everyone knows to stay upright or knows how to stay upright. Whereas like you were saying three, four, five, sometimes that's just what causes crashes. Yeah. Not saying that doesn't happen in the P one twos, but right. But you know, I think, and like the great debate from the amateur crit Nats race was, was this aggressive racing, which is a term all into itself or was it just racing? Right. You know, and like, that's, I guess that's why we're here today talking about this is, you know, what constitutes aggressive racing versus what constitutes just kind of being in a crit for the entire crit or just like at the end of a road race. Yeah. So I, I guess dive bombing corners, I feel like is always just part of the sport. Like if, you know, there's only one way to move up on some courses. Can you clarify what you mean by dive bombing corners? So you have, you know, if you're having like a course with like all left turns, the pack generally will stay to the right and then try to take, take the corner at the apex. So this leaves a gap open on the left side of the road and guys will try to shoot through that gap and then into the corner and take it not at the apex. So it kind of like pushes everyone out even further. Um, but that's a good way to move up like 10 spots or whatever, every lap or so. <laughs> so that's kind of tricky. Cause it's not really like good etiquette I'd say, but I mean, sometimes that's the only way to actually move up. And when everyone's doing it, you know, if you're not doing it, then it, you're just, you're pushed to the back. Like, right. And you really can see that on, you know, like you were saying, these pan, especially pan flat, like right. current courses where there is no like diversity in turns, you know, you got four ninety degrees and nothing to kind of break the race up. So no change in elevation, whatever, all the corners are, well essentially well kept so there's nothing forcing people to take kind of odd lines but you know a lot of times and where the critical issue is you know the inside line oftentimes is the safest because if a guy's going to slide out they're going to slide out i.e to the outside so when you're down inside you know you kind of think that at least for a brief second there you're in a fairly safe position so if somebody all of a sudden just you know appears right at the apex it's going to get a little dicey yeah and then once you get quite closer to the you know three laps to go two laps to go and one lap to go you're going to have elbowing bumping to like make sure you're on the right position so i mean what do you think is it I think that's part of bike racing just the elbowing and getting in position not like straight up like diving your elbow into someone's chest, but like just keeping your elbows out a little bit to make sure, you know, you have your space and a good example of this is, um, the Sagan issue a couple of years ago on the tour, he kind of just had his elbow out and there was a big controversy that he elbowed Cav and knocked him off. But I think after we all watch the video, we can see that he was just holding up his elbow is like, you know, balance, make sure he's keeping his spot because Cav was coming in on him. Right. And I mean, you know, this is a big 
how you can respond to kind of aggressive racing happening around you really determines, I think sometimes even more than just raw power output, how you should choose to kind of win a bike race. Because if you're somebody who kind of gets like essentially a little sketched by what's happening in three laps to go, you know, even if you're not like the strongest threshold guy, if you want to try to win, you might want to try to go into a breakaway if you don't feel super confident trying to keep it upright or stay up in the front in right. a sprint situation. Big part of being a sprinter is, you know, you have to be able to deal with the bumping and, you know, fighting for position. And, you know, a good case of this was with the Greipel and Gaviria in the tour this year with the yep. headbutting. And obviously they got, they got DQ'd cause they took it a little too far. So our question is, was that incident at amateur Nats? Was it taken too far? And personally, I think it was, it was real early in the race. There was not necessarily a need to do what he did. And the guy on his right that he did slightly come over to, on him, but I still think it was an unnecessary risk. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the two sources of video are, you know, the camera actually that Justin had on himself during the race and uh, another YouTube cyclist, uh, cat one for gateway, Harley Davidson, Matt Zimmer. Yep. Uh, and you know, it's kind of a tale of two tapes. Cause when you look at Justin's, I don't know, man, it doesn't really look that as bad as it does on Matt's. It's a tale of angles. Yeah, it really is. But that being said, he is known for being like an aggressive sprinter with like bumping guys and turns. Um, they posted a video on Instagram the other day. So to, does yeah. he take it too far? You know, I kind of feel this might be a weird way to take this. It, it almost feels like part of his brand and game now. Yeah. And how <laughs> I would agree with that. To, uh, how he's trying to like kind of grow his brand in the world of cycling. Um, do I think it's the right choice? I don't know. Probably not. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's a winner. Yeah. You know, and he's really getting a good name, like in terms of recognition out there in a time when, you know, name recognition is very important in cycling in keeping and finding a job. That's true. I don't know. It's, it's just hard. You know, because at the end of the day, nobody wants to crash. Nobody really likes to see crashes who races. Nobody wants to be crashed out. And, you know, nobody really wants to cause crashes. But, you know, it is a part of the sport. I do truly think that it is when you put on a bib number, you get some responsibility to make the race as safe as possible. I'm not telling you to put the brakes on if you got the chance to win. Right. By all means, dig in and go for it. But, you know, yeah, like, it's when you're in a pack, in, you're all in it together. Like you're all at, you know, the same risk level. So it's really, I agree. Like you're, you're at, you need to respect other riders and not do 
totally dumb things. But There's that a time being a place for dumb things. <laughs> exactly. Um, but that being said, I feel like it's also just like a tactic that he has. Like he, you know, he puts out videos of, or is it his brother that's putting out the videos? Or cousin I or something? It's Corey. Yeah, okay. I think it's Corey. Um, so I feel like that's almost a tactic. Like he has these moments that look crazy on camera and people watch this thousands of people watch this. And if you're in a race with him, like if you're coming up on the last lap and he's right next to you, you're going to give it, you're going to give him the wheel. You're going to give him the wheel. And, or you're going to try to hold your ground because you know, you know, what's coming at this point with him. Exactly. And like you were just saying, and, kind of alluding to what I said earlier, you know, these videos of him go up on YouTube, like it's part of his brand now, you know, he's a rough and tumble. I'm going to win sprinter. Yeah. So the, really the only way to combat that is a, you go on a breakaway and you know, you're working with the other guys there. So you're not going to have as much aggression. And even when you get to the last lap, if it's successful, you're still only fighting five guys instead of a hundred or top 20, whatever. Um, so you can go on a breakaway. You can stand your ground and, you know, prove that you're strong enough to hold that wheel and, you know, make him take a different wheel or you can join in on the bumping. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that is really your only three options. There is, of course, you know, the fourth option, which is, you know, get out of there because, you know, if you really don't think you're going to be able to hold it, you know, you can't, you can't have that mentality when you're up near the front. You know, that's how, that's how bad, bad things happen in bike races. And when guys like drop confidence in high speed situations like that. True. Um, So as far as, I mean, the UCI has obviously taken action on this in the last two Tour de France's, uh, Greipel and Gaviria got DQ'd on that one day for headbutting. And that was like the first time I've ever seen headbutting in a race. I don't know about you. No, I I think it was, uh, Bernie Isel on behalf of Cavendish or Cavendish to somebody. There could have been two incidences or Renshaw. It might've been a Renshaw for Cav. You know, but I've seen headbutting before as a way to just kind of like nudge open one little corridor. Right. More, especially like when guys are already starting to try to sprint full out, you can't really like leverage the shoulders as much anymore. But, you know, that head is still a useful <laughs> moving piece object. To, yeah, <laughs> moving object to try to create, you know, 40 millimeters of space that you need to slip your bars through. Yeah, exactly. Um, and one clarification. I don't think it's the UCI that takes action. I think it's more ASO as the organizer of the Tour de France. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but, you know, headbutting, it's one of those things that, you know, those guys are just so confident at 35 plus miles an hour. You know, they have no problem using their head essentially as a battering ram to open up the last door. You see that your local one, two, three you might want to ask the guy what he thinks he's doing. I actually saw that. Yeah. So that Gaviria gripal situation was 
the first time I actually saw that, like while I was watching a race, I'm sure I saw it before, but that was just the first like memorable, memorable time I've seen. And I actually saw it this year at an intelligentsia in a two, three race, some guy using his head to bump some guy out of the way, which I'm like, dude, like they're on a whole different level. So some things I feel like you just need to leave to the pros. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a SoPro move. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, but neither here nor there, you know, aggressive racing is definitely something that gets, you know, aggressive racing almost feels a little bit more like the norm here with our humongous criterium scene in America. Yeah. You know, really the aggressive racing in the middle of, I guess you European races comes from road furniture. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, just like fighting for position, a road suddenly narrows and all of a sudden, you know, you got six wide, but you need to get down to three real quick. True. But you know, and I, also just like, I mean, in those races you have your, 10 or 15 sprinters and then you have your lead out guys whereas us everyone who's there feels like they can win the race so like for me for example i am not a sprinter like i have no business being there but if i can hold the right wheel i can get a top five but you know that requires me to be a little bit more aggressive and hold the right wheel right and i think it's like I don't know if anyone ever said it first, but it's a very common kind of phrase that you hear among American cyclists. And it's the classic, like everyone thinks they're a sprinter until they find out the hard way they're not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like not everyone can be a sprinter and every, of course everyone wants to be the sprinter because, you know, it's the sexy thing to be sprinters win. And not only that, they also are, you know, if you look it up in any kind of like, training book you know usually right next to the word sprinter has uses the least amount of energy possible throughout race and then explodes at the end for victory yeah essentially so you know a lot of people just see it as like all right if i just sit in and wait i'm totally gonna be able to like win this sprint but when you run up against a a real sprinter and i'm gonna pick somebody that we know noble guy on yeah. Like that is sprint talent. True. You know, that is what that is. But, you know, guy winning a bike race, you don't have to necessarily be a sprinter. And I'm going to apologize because I don't remember his name. I know uh, it is the guy on intent. I believe his name is Jose. Um, who in won the, the field who won the Giro del Montana the third day of gateway with yeah, a yeah. massive attack up the hill and then just held on. Did he? Yeah, yeah I wish I was, was there. <laughs> it, it was one of those just crazy, I'm not going to let this come down to a real sprint sprints. Okay. Because, you know, he loaded it up, got up the hill, and this is from watching the live stream, uh, kind of after the fact, up the hill, kind of just powered up the top side of the course, turned that corner. And, you know, by that point he's going downhill with a good handful of bike lengths and, you know, you're not going to be able to overcome 
a handful of bike lengths with everyone's going at top speed. Yeah. And your biggest, biggest gear. Yeah. So that's that's awesome. And I guess that's kind of like where people trap themselves into getting into these aggressive situations that maybe they can't win is, you know, everyone's got a way to win the bike race, but you know, only a few select few, especially at the upper levels can actually win in the 10 second bunch sprint. Yeah. Now, and you know, obviously, yeah, you can swing around, grab good wheels and find a way to get a good result out of that. But to win, you know, you're going to have to mix it up and choose a tactic that's going to befit you. Is it going to work every time? No. But trying to win is all about maximizing your odds and, you know, getting into a bunch sprint when you're not one of those select few is not maximizing your odds. Yeah. And another thing I'll say is, uh, when you're in that last bunch sprint situation, everyone is aware of that. And everyone's aware that people want to be on certain wheels. So, you, you know, you're a little more confident and holding your bars a little more tight. Whereas 20 minutes into a race, you may not be doing that. You may not be expecting someone to pop you off a wheel. Right. But you know, it is to play devil's advocate, you know, it is a race situation. Right. You should always be prepared, especially at a national championship. Right. You know, everyone, everyone who started that race does start with some odds to win, you know, some people's obviously higher than others, but you know, if you're on the starting line, cards can break a certain way. And, you know, if every possibility is distinctly possible in any given run of a scenario, then, you know, everyone starts the race with some chance to win. So you do have to be prepared to take advantage of situations. Does that mean, you know, trying to level some dude on your way past? No, but it does mean kind of just constantly being aware of your surroundings and looking for moves and safe lines and safe wheels. Yeah. All right. I think that's a good way to end it. So I I think so too. (laughs) Cool. Thanks for listening to so pro cycling show. If you have any comments on this episode, you can send us an email at, the pocket podcast at gmail.com um, or just leave a comment on SoundCloud. You can do that too. So I hope you guys enjoyed and we'll see you next week. Bye guys. <laughs>